This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. You already have your Bibles in hand. Turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. This morning I'm going to be speaking on the subject, the scars in the hands of Jesus. In John chapter 20, beginning in verse number 19, the Bible says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had said so, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again his disciples were within, and Thomas saith, or Thomas with them, then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet believed. To those of you who are born again Christians, Jesus had us in mind. For the next couple of Sundays, I'm going to be speaking on the cross. And as I have already mentioned in the early service today during the Sunday school hour, I'm going to be preaching these messages that will take us right up to Palm Sunday in which we will have communion on Sunday morning together. And then, of course, Easter Sunday morning will be serenaded by the beautiful music from the choir and also we'll be preaching a glorious message on the resurrection. And then I will tell you the Sunday after Easter, I'll begin a series on the Ten Commandments. And you would be totally amazed how each one of these still in so many ways apply to, to us today. And so that will be a blessing to your heart, I know for sure. But this morning, as we look into the sacred pages of Scripture, we're talking about the scars in the hands of Jesus. I'm not sure how many of you ever take the time to look carefully at the words to many of the hymns that we sing in the church. And uh, I would encourage you to do that 
from time to time as when we stand and sing and you use those hymn books. Look carefully at the words in which the Holy Spirit moved upon the hearts of people to pen the sacred songs that we sing repetitiously even here in our church. Every song that we sing is enriched with doctrine. It's enriched with our praise offering to God. I love to sing songs about heaven. I like to sing songs about the cross. I love to sing songs about heaven. Songs like how beautiful heaven must be. Songs like when we all get to heaven. Perhaps songs like heavenly sunlight and heaven came down and glory filled my soul. I just love to sing about it. I, I love preaching about heaven. Last year, I preached a four-part sermon series on the realities of heaven. And I think we have about six or seven of those entire sermons series still available at the Welcome Center if you're interested. I'd like to sing about it. I'd like to preach about it. I'd like to know all about heaven that I possibly can because I'm interested in that because of the fact that there's a lot waiting for me on the other side. There's a lot waiting for you over there. And my heart often thinks about it. I don't know what is the first thing that you think about when you think about heaven. Obviously and hopefully it is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, you think about the loved ones and the friends that you have over there. It's going to be a glorious day when we are face to face with Jesus Christ. And we can lay down this thing that we have called faith all of our life. And then we can behold him with sight. The songwriter says face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face what will it be? Then there is the modern song I can only imagine. And folks think about it just for a minute. I can only imagine what it's going to be like when we stand into his presence. The songwriter says will you dance? Will you sing praise? Will you just fall at his feet? I don't know, but I can tell you this is going to be a glorious day when we stand into his presence. I'm thinking about heaven in such a way that not only Jesus is there, not only our friends and our loved ones that are there, but also all of the splendor, everything that the Bible promises us about heaven. But in my recent thoughts about it, I wasn't thinking about the jasper walls and the gates of pearl. I really wasn't thinking about the street of gold and the river that will never run dry. Out of all the beauty and splendor and promises in Scripture of heaven, I was reminded as I was preparing this particular sermon, The Scars in the Hands of Jesus, I was reminded that the only man-made thing in heaven, think about it with me, as I mentioned just a few moments ago, we're going to be preaching about the Ten Commandments. But I will tell you that the Ten Commandments are not the man-made thing that is going to be in heaven. It's not going to be the staff of Moses. It's not going to be the Ark of the Covenant. I will tell you, I believe that the only man-made thing that is going to be in heaven are the scars in the hands of Jesus. I want you to look at that picture just for a moment. And I want you to think about the message for today. Have you ever thought about that? 
the only man-made thing that will be in the endless ages of eternity. The only man-made thing that will be in heaven are the scars in the hands of Jesus. One of the things that we all like to do when we go visit places and now that the springtime is coming and soon vacation season will start and many of you have already planned a trip or two to go away during the, the summer weather. One of the most favorite things to do when you go away and you like to do a lot of sightseeing is you like to bring back some souvenirs wherever you have been to either have personalized in your house for yourself or you like to give it to friends or loved ones, something that will remind them where you've been as well. And it dawned on me that Jesus, when he visited this earth, he brought back to heaven with him some eternal souvenirs. And one is in his left hand and the other is in his right. Now I want you to think about this. It was something, those scars, was something that the world gave to him in which he came down to redeem this world. They gave him those everlasting scars, those scars, those eternal scars are going to be an eternal reminder to you and I what Jesus Christ did on the cross for my sin, what he did for you on the cross for your sin. I want you to see something in Zechariah chapter 13 and verse number 6. The Bible says this, and if you're able to turn to those pages quickly, I'd like for you to read along with me. We have them here for you on the screen. But in Zechariah chapter 13 and in verse number 6, the Bible says, And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thy hands? Then he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Now in that particular passage, the prophet Zechariah is describing obviously the revelation of Jesus Christ when he returns to this earth with the host and the armies of heaven. The Bible says he's going to return to the Mount of Olives and the people that will see him on that day, the prophet says that they will stare at him and ask him, what are those wounds? What are those scars in your hands? Where did you get these scars? And Jesus will say, I got these scars when I was wounded, when I was in the house of my friends. If you can turn with me quickly to Revelation chapter 5 and verse number 6, I want you to see a little bit more of what I'm speaking about today. In Revelation chapter 5, verse number 6, John the Apostle wrote these words, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, look at that very carefully, because indeed we are taught in the scriptures that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God which was slain before the foundations of the world. And he said, I saw, notice that, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. Now it was the nail scars in the hands of Jesus that John was talking about. Back in the early 20s, a great song leader in an old-time revival meeting by the name of B.B. McKinney, I don't know if any of you are familiar with him, but he was asked to lead the invitation by the evangelist that was speaking 
He was asked to direct the music, and so he did. And in that revival meeting, he asked this question. He said, is there anyone here that would like to put their hand into the nail-scarred hands of Jesus? And that phrase penetrated his mind, and he went home from that evangelistic meeting under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and he wrote the song, Place Your Hand in the Nail-Scarred Hand. Most of you in here are familiar with that song. There are three things this morning that I want to speak to you briefly about concerning the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. First of all, I want us to see that beyond the shadow of a doubt, Jesus suffered on the cross. And you might say, well, Pastor, that's elementary. Everybody knows that. Let me remind you of something. Suffering and pain is something that we've all experienced at one point or another in our life, and it's never pleasant. We're teaching an in-depth series in the early service, in the Sunday school hour, about pain and suffering and the difficulties of sorrow and strife that we have going through the aging process of these bodies. In the early service, we're talking about how none of us are exempt from it. How that when you suffer physically, it will affect you spiritually. And how it affects you spiritually will affect you physically. None of us can escape it. Physical pain is no respecter of persons. And God himself has sought to that. From John the Baptist of being beheaded. The Apostle Paul being beheaded. We think about the pain and sorrow that originated in the Garden of Eden. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But friend, today I want you to know that sometimes pain is beyond our ability to express. Have you ever been hurting so bad? Even with a migraine headache, you, you don't want the light on. You don't want anybody talking. You just want to be in the dark by yourself. Some of you have been in those debilitating processes of pain before. You just want to be by yourself. Sometimes we see a loved one suffering whose body is riddled with pain. And we often ask the question, why? When we see a child who has been riddled and overcome with pain, and I was watching something the other day about St. Jude's Hospital, the children uh, in early ages of life that were dealing with cancer. My heart just went out to those folks. I didn't know them, but I began to pray for them as they began to show those little children on television with their heads wrapped up and going through unbelievable, horrific periods in their life and their bodies were riddled with pain that kind of thing grips our hearts and we say oh god do something about this intervene in this child's this person's life sometimes we we know loved ones that just seem to linger with pain more so than others and sometimes we do not see god immediately doing something about that we don't see god immediately intervening and we ask the question god why? Why are you allowing this person to go through this? Why don't you do something about it? Why don't you intervene? Sometimes we might have even asked the question, God, why don't you care? Maybe we wonder, does he really have the power in 2014 to reach those nail-scarred hands down on this planet and touch lives today, just like he did yesterday? Maybe we say, well, perhaps there's something that has caused him not to love Humanity in the degree today that he loved them back in those days where he just doesn't want to involve himself anymore. 
How many times have we asked ourselves, why does God allow people to suffer? But I want us to remind ourselves this morning when we think about these nail-scarred hands that even God himself suffered. And that's the thing that I want you to think about this morning. When they drove those nails into the hands of Jesus, the Bible teaches us that they were driving them into the very heart of God. They drove the nails in his hands, but those nails pierced the heart of God. Jesus was not the only one suffering. God himself was bearing pain as well. In fact, I want you to see something here this morning you might not have ever thought about before, but in Isaiah chapter 63 and verse number 9, I want you to see this, and this is talking about when God's people suffered and were afflicted. What happened to God? Let me give you the first verse first. And it says in Isaiah chapter 63 and verse number 9, In all their affliction, he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them, and he bared them and carried them all the days of old. Now again, the word says that when God's people suffered and were afflicted, that God himself was afflicted. In fact, I want you to see this in another place in Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse number 20. You're in the neighborhood of that passage and I hope that you can get to it quickly. But in Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse number 20, the Bible says, Is Ephraim, my dear son, is he a pleasant child? For since I spake against him, I do earnestly remember him still. Notice this. Therefore, my bowels are troubled for him. I will surely have mercy upon him, saith the Lord. God himself is saying that I experienced pain. I have experienced trouble. I have experienced this, this awful, overwhelming sensation. The Bible is saying in that particular passage of Scripture that God had suffered in the pit of his stomach. You might say, well, I've never thought about God suffering. I've never thought, I know that we do. I know Jesus suffered on the cross, but I've never thought about that being something that happens to God. Where the Bible is saying that God hurts severely in the very pit of his stomach. Some of us have had the unpleasantness of that. We all know what it's like when the feeling comes over us when something bad happens. I'm talking about some of you that are parents, have you ever got a phone call in the middle of the night concerning one of your children? Have you ever had the unpleasant experience of watching a sheriff drive up to your door? Have you ever, as a mother or father, been sitting in, in your house and it's way past time for a child to come home? You, do you know what I'm saying? How that feeling just penetrates the pit of your stomach. When a doctor calls with some bad news, we all know what that hurt in the middle of our stomach feels like. If you look at that passage of Scripture, God is saying this, for since I spake against him, I do earnestly remember him still. Therefore, my bowels are troubled for him. God's saying I was hurting in the pit of my stomach. And we, we all know what it's like for heartache to come over us all at once and overtakes us. We all know how fast 
that makes us worry and stress and how our heart beats out of rhythm almost. We know that sick feeling all over. When we break out in a sweat and there's absolutely nothing we can do about it. That is what Jeremiah was saying that happened to God. When something terrible was happening to the children of God, Jeremiah said concerning God, my bowels are troubled for him. You see, God knows what it's like not to feel good. God knows what it like what it's like to feel pain and to to suffer. And here's the thing about pain this morning, and I'm thinking about this because I think greatly what we're teaching in our Sunday school class. But I think you will agree me will agree with me on this, and I have not brought this out in my class yet. But I want you to think about this. An interesting thing about pain and suffering is this: we never choose it. I want you to think about that. I mean, none of us ever wake up in the morning with an agenda to, in, to inflict ourselves with some kind of pain. We, we never wake up in the morning trying to figure out how we can hurt ourselves. So pain is something that none of us ever choose. And in many cases, there is absolutely nothing we can do about it. But I want you to think about this just for a moment. Pain is something that we do not choose. However, when Jesus got to the cross, He chose to do that. He chose to suffer. When He prayed, not my will, but thine will. Listen, we all know the song. All He would have had to do was to call those 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set Him free. But God, listen now, God allowed Himself... To suffer in the choice that Jesus was willing to go through with because of the very person who he is. He's a father. I want you to think about this. There's no possible way that you can be a father or a mother without suffering on the behalf somewhat of your children. It's impossible. And can you imagine that when we as born again children of God, that when we sin, it hurts the father? That God suffers with that sick feeling in his stomach. Somebody might say, well, preacher, I don't believe that God or Jesus can suffer because of the things that we do. Oh, my friend, I want you to look in Acts chapter 9. I want you to read with me verses 1 through 4. We are very familiar with this story. But if you're wondering today, how on earth or is it possible that God the Father, God the Son can hurt because of the things we do? Oh, absolutely. In Acts chapter 9, and we're familiar with Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus to persecute the church. In Acts chapter 9, verse 1, the Bible says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shone round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, listen now, Jesus is speaking. Jesus asked the question, Why persecutest thou me? So if you've ever wondered, does God really hurt? Can he really suffer? Does he experience pain? 
Absolutely, Saul was persecuting the church and Jesus said, why are you hurting me? Why are you causing me pain and grief? The nail-scarred hands of Jesus ought to remind us that he truly suffered for us on the cross. Secondly, the second thing about these nail-scarred hands is not only does it tell us that he suffers, but he understands the depth of suffering that we go through. One of my favorite old-time hymns of the faith, and I don't know if we have sang it recently, but I'm intrigued by the words of the song, Does Jesus Care? The question was, when my heart is pained too deeply for mirth and song, as the burdens press and the cares distress, and the way grows weary and long, the course it leaps into a wonderful phrase, and it says, oh yes, he cares, I know he cares. My heart is touched, or his heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary and the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. You need to know this morning that when you hurt, he hurts. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 15, the Bible says this, if you can get to it quickly. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 15, we have it here for you. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And we have to keep in mind that when Jesus Christ came to this world, he came in a human body. In John chapter 1 verse 14, the Bible says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And because he was in a human body, listen, he knows exactly how we feel. He knows what it's, I saw Brother Guy limping this morning. He told me he ran 20 miles yesterday. I would be somewhere other than here. <laughs> Whether in the body or out, I would not be able to tell. But if I had run 20 miles, I don't know. He, he's a cage fighter and he trains a lot for fights and athletics and sporting events and all this stuff. I saw him limping down the hall this morning. I said, what has happened to you now? He said, I ran 20 miles yesterday. That, I don't know. That's almost as far as from here to Petersburg. I think you need to help him, Stephanie. I saw him limping. Listen, you think about it just for a moment. He know. listen, how many times did Jesus ever walk those dusty roads of Palestine and maybe stump his foot on one of those stones and had to limp to the next service? He was in a physical body. Jesus knows what it's like to limp. And when you and I walk with a limp, with a hurt, he knows what it's like. He, he knows what it's like to weep. The Bible says that standing at the tomb of Lazarus, he cried with a loud voice. When I weep, listen, he, he has wept. When I weep, he can relate to my tears. When I limp, he can relimp to that in my life. When I'm exhausted, the Bible says Jesus had to remove himself from the public many times and go to a desert place, a private place to pray. Listen, he knows what it's like to be exhausted. And thank God he knows what it's like when I'm exhausted, when I'm tired, when I cannot take another step farther. He knows he's been there. The souvenirs that he took back to heaven ought to constantly remind us that he has been here and done that. 
He's been here and done that for you and me. He was so much God, yet he was so much man. God knows exactly the pain of hardship, the pain that it takes its toll on our body. Why does God permit all of that? We've spent a great deal of time talking about this in our Sunday school hour. I'm just going to ask him to put the verses up there. I'm not going to read them all, but in Genesis chapter 3, verse 14 and 19, and I'm not even going to ask you to turn there for the sake of time this morning. But if you want to know why this pain business is with us to begin with, this is the passage, this is the chapter to read. And we've already taught that in depth in our Sunday school hour, but you can find out quickly that our pain has originated in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve changed their desire to obey God and that sin transgressed in the garden. Listen, you see, if God did not bring a consequence to sin, in which he did, he told them the day that they were going to eat of that tree that they were going to surely die, then Adam and Eve would have not known the difference. Listen carefully. If God did not bring a consequence to the fall in the Garden of Eden, if he did not bring a consequence to it, Adam and Eve would have not known the difference between right and wrong. And this is why God did that. Now, we don't ever think about it this way, but listen, sometimes we need to thank God for pain. You say, what are you talking about, preacher? I, I believe that pain in many ways, though sometimes we create storms in our life and sometimes God has to chastise us, but I want you to think about another aspect of that. Sometimes pain is a gift from God in which He uses to let us know that something is wrong. I want you to think about that. Spiritually speaking, it's like when we grieve the Holy Spirit by neglectful living or we allow sinful things to enter into our life. And if we're really a, a child of God, when we quench or when we grieve the Holy Spirit, He makes us hurt inside. You think about that. Christians feel the pain of bringing displeasure to the Lord. But that pain, if we are really where we ought to be or need to be with the Lord, that conviction or that pain that is inflicted upon us will draw us closely and closer to Him. So pain, listen carefully, not only is given to us sometimes to warn us, but pain sometimes is given to us to correct us. All of us have used this illustration before, but it may have been a true reality in our life. How many times as a child have you ever put your hand on a hot stove you know what happens? The message travels to your brain. And your brain says, hey, don't do that again. I don't know how many of you have ever been there. It's one of the reasons that God allows pain in this world is because sometimes He's in the process of correcting us or He's in the process of warning us. And when we put our hands on the hot stoves of life, that Holy Spirit inside as a child of God is coming back to us and saying, hey, don't do that again. And pain will never be removed into this earth, by the way, until sin has fully been dealt with and placed in eternity past forever. Those nail-scarred hands of Jesus constantly reminds us that something was wrong and God had to deal with it. Now I want you to think about it. The nail-scarred hands of Jesus... Reminds us that he suffered. He suffered willingly. Those nail-scarred hands, I believe, helps us to understand that he knows the depth of our suffering. And lastly, let me say this. 
the nail-scarred hands of Jesus teaches us that those scars will provide healing for us. When Jesus came out of the grave, friend, listen carefully, he was not still bleeding. His wounds were healed. In Isaiah chapter 53 and verse number 5, the Bible says this. Isaiah 53 and verse number 5, one of the most familiar passages of Scripture that we read during the time of the cross and the resurrection. But I want you to look at it carefully. The Bible says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. And by the way, let me insert something here. This is a prophetic verse that Isaiah the prophet wrote 750 years before Jesus was ever born. You and I today as a born again believer, listen, when a person, and we recognize this when we're saved, but when a person is lost in this world today and they come to the cross and they come to the crossroad and they must decide what are they going to do with their eternal soul. Someone shares with them the plan of salvation. How you can know that if you were to die today, you can live forever in heaven. Somebody takes the time and shows them that. Listen, and we decide, yes, I want to give my heart to Christ. And so we pray the sinner's prayer. We ask the Lord Jesus to come into our heart. You and I are saved today by faith, looking back some 2,000 years ago as what Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, did for us on that cross. We are saved by looking back at what He did. The Old Testament prophets did not preach to look back to the cross. They preached to look to the cross. Those in the Old Testament era, listen, faith is faith in the Old Testament. It's the same kind of faith in the New Testament. The Old Testament people, they were counted as righteous by looking to the cross. We are saved by faith looking back to the cross. Isaiah said this, 750 years before he was born, before Jesus was born, he was wounded. He believed in his heart with every fiber of his soul, that the promised Messiah, from going back to Genesis 3.15, he believed that the promised Messiah would come one day. And by faith, he did not say he will be one day crucified. He said by faith, he believed he was wounded for our transgressions. He spoke it with great authority. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. You think about that. Thank God there's victory in those scars in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those nail-scarred hands constantly remind us that Jesus paid the debt for our sin, a debt that we could not pay. Now let me share something very important with you in closing. As a Christian, as a born-again child of God and following Jesus, if you plan on following Him, without question, you yourself are going to have to bear some scars in life as well. This thing about being a Christian is not an easy thing. I don't want anybody to ever think that when you become one, that at a certain point in your life, you, you learn it all, you master it all, and you get to a place where somehow the Lord Jesus elevates you to the next level of Christianity and you are far beyond having your life afflicted with any kind of trouble, pain, or sorrow. Friend, that's not true. We, we don't ever get to a place in life as a Christian where we step up to the next level 
And God just says, okay, listen, you've learned the Ten Commandments. You can quote half of the Bible. You know the names of the disciples. You know where I went and what I did and how I did it. So I'm just going to advance you and, uh, you know, you'll get your wings now. And you don't have to worry about all that stuff. Well, wouldn't that be wonderful? If we could learn so much about this Bible that we could get our wings early. And we could just flutter over all the trouble. It doesn't work like that. You and I, as a born-again child of God, listen now, we will never ever get to a place in life where we get to another level where we don't have worries and troubles and pains and sorrows. In this life, as a born-again child of God, we're going to have to bear some scars. As He bore the scars for us, we're going to have to bear some scars for Him. That Scripture I want you to look at in Philippians chapter 3, verse number 10, the Bible says this, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. And the, notice this, and the fellowship of His sufferings. His sufferings. Being made conformable unto His death. Now some of you this morning might be going through some terrible things. And as we've said in Sunday school many times already, you... Your body might be riddled with pain, some type of physical adversity. Maybe you know of a loved one right now that you're watching. You're watching suffer daily. I was talking to Sister Wanda Walker not too many weeks ago, and she was telling me about her brother Leland that is in stage four cancer, and she's watching him every day get worse and worse. You might know somebody like that, or your spirit is just overwhelmed with someone else's suffering or you, you're suffering yourself. But if you close your eyes in the midst of that pain, in the midst of that sorrow, and try to imagine Jesus on His throne, and then you try to imagine the beauty. You know, the Word says, Eyes have not seen, nor ears have heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man what the Father hath prepared for them that love Him. And you see Him sitting on the throne, you see Him glorified, you see Him high and lifted up. Try your best to visualize those red ruby scars in his hands. And then try to evaluate your personal circumstances and what you're going through. And then watch those red ruby scars reaching back to you saying, My child, I know how you feel. And see if that doesn't change your perspective just a little. He's saying, cast all your care upon me. When you pray, when you feel you're at your weakest point, And life has just overwhelmed you. And you see those red ruby scars coming towards you in your prayer. What he's saying is this, hey, cast all your care upon me. I care for you. The songwriter says, there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. He's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Let me ask you this morning, if they would go back to the first picture on the message title today, you see those hands right there. Let me ask you this. What he went through on the cross to take those scars back to heaven. 
If you don't know Him as your personal Savior today, for that question, I believe that that's what He would like for you to do today is to put your hand in the nail-scarred hand. And if you've never trusted Him today, would you trust Him right now? Would you give your heart to Christ? You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.